The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Into the storm, into the storm. Uh, I don't think many of us really want to go into the storm, but the storm tends to come to us. Yesterday I was at the a burial of a dear friend, Shirley Jajokian. Those of you that know Shirley know that she's had a, an ongoing health problem. She's lived a full, rich life, and Al, her husband, has for years come in and served us in, in, in uh, the office. He was a, uh, worked for the federal government for years doing accounting, and such a a blessing. I think Al's about 93 years old and basically can bury me with his energy and certainly with his integrity. One of the finest guys you'll ever meet. I just want to reflect this note. These were two dedicated Christians. And when you get around the family and the moments that I had, of course, I would only say positive things, but they just seem wonderful. This couple dedicated to the Lord and generational blessing. There is a blessing in following the Lord Jesus Christ for real. And we don't do it in our own strength, do we? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I wanna make uh, this announcement also. We're still doing soccer. Melanie and I are going out of town uh, for a lifetime, we have had this strange interaction with uh, Oxford University in England. Go figure. You know, I, I was such a, all I cared about was sports, honestly. You know, that, that's it. That's it. That was not my God, but it was something I did. I'm a typical guy that way, or, and that's not typical, I know that, but... Uh, Academic stuff wasn't my thing. Uh, I, I always read unbelievable amounts. That was my thing and playing ball. So that was it. And we're, I married this young lady who is one of the sweetest women on the planet. Those of you that everybody knows her. She's an introvert. She's a scholar. Uh, she's a very quiet soul, but she can outwork uh, me every day of the week. Uh, unbelievable. So she goes there. She's gone there off and on for 20 years, I don't know, more. And often she would take her children with her. She goes there, one, to study. Number two, one of our daughters was there for a semester. Yes, I'm bragging, unashamedly, you know. Uh, we're so proud of her. She played soccer for the Oxford Blue, you know, and she, she was a star there because America is quite advanced in women's soccer. But the, the point is there was this interface with Oxford based on C.S. Lewis. Lewis, the great apologist for the body of Christ, and certainly in World War II. He was a light in the storm. Lewis was the second most heard voice uh, in England over the radio to Winston Churchill. That's, that's a pretty good company to be keeping, it seems to me. And he was able to talk to soldiers. He was able to talk to his native land about the Jesus Christ that he had come to know, and as one of England's foremost scholars, they listened with great attention. My wife was touched by that, touched to such a degree that she uh, became part of the C.S. Lewis uh, Foundation, and she goes every, used to be every two years, to lead tours there. She's lived in Lewis's house, all this kind of stuff. She studied at Oxford. And what, what happens is this year, she's going again. There's been a four-year hiatus based on the COVID uh, situation. 
but uh, she's, she's back and she's taking me this time. It's the first time I've gone with her on one of these things to this particular, normally I'm watching the kids, but they, I've lost that excuse, they're all grown now. So we'll be there for about two weeks and I am a human signpost. I stand there and say, you go this way, you go that way, lead people upstairs and do this. And I sing a little bit in their choir there and then my wife, um, is a tour guide. She is so familiar with Oxford after all these years that she does tours for the people that come there, so, which is really exciting and part of what springboarded her into writing a number of uh, novels without getting into that. So that's what we're doing. Secondly, we're playing a little soccer, a little advertisement. Uh, more and more people are coming to this crazy soccer thing. We're up to about 12 people. It's not, you know, running everybody out of the, the, the area to come here, but it was so sweet to see them there, both adults and children. We'll, we'll take anybody about 12 and above. We don't want to knock anybody down. We play on the parking lot. It's something I trained NCAA players. One of them, went, well, without getting into this, on parking lots in Northern Virginia. And it's just this beautiful moment where they get to play and in a fairly relaxed atmosphere. So that goes on again this uh, Tuesday night. Uh, with uh, this week, I think Josh Lee's running it, and then Kenny Massey is going to run it the next week, and then I'm back in town, and I just watch them play and destroy me in every given interaction. So it's fun, and uh, the idea of it is to reach our world. The idea is to bring in what we call a front porch kind of activity, where people can come and bring their friends. We're not going to Bible bash them. We're simply going to love them and, and play a little game and see if the Lord opens doors for them. Now, this morning, I'm going to um, kind of go along with some of the songs. Clearly, Mark knew what I was going to be speaking on. I would like to uh, blame the Holy Spirit. It's always so wonderful when you speak on a subject and without any communication, you know, the, the, the songs are coming up there just as if the Lord dropped them in. But Mark is a, is a very organized individual, and so he knew what we were doing, and, and he wrote things like, uh, he would fail. And uh, uh, I mean, in, in what we sang, the idea was that uh, this love relationship Christ has with us to carry us through the storms of life is something that we need to not only note, but live in day to day. Uh, on the day, you'll remember, Jesus has been talking at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he is uh, speaking to people hours and hours on this particular day. And it says, on that day when evening had come, he tended to come in, make a splash, exhibit the very power of God, speak the word of God, and then walk away and leave them to deal with it, to see if there was good uh, uh, ground for the seed of the gospel to go into the individuals he's, he's discussing with. And in this in this chapter, Mark 4, 35 through 41, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. It's nighttime. So they're going to get in a boat and the fishing boat, typical kind of nice fishing boat, sat, sat about or stood about 15 fishermen. So his disciples could go with him. Uh, he couldn't very well escape the masses of people in front of him. So he kind of did a, a journey to the rear and uh, uh, across the sea, the Sea of Galilee, it's also called Lake Gennesaret, is uh, approximately uh, uh, eight, uh, 13 miles in length and eight miles in width. It's a very significant 
uh, sea, if you will, the Sea of Galilee. And he's going to go across to another part of it. And on that day when evening came, they hear his voice saying, let's go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. In other words, he's not only going by himself, boats are following him wherever he goes. You know, the song says, he speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. The birds hush their singing. Everything changes when he comes into a room, when he comes into a jurisdiction, even when he's on a boat, even when he's asleep. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, the other boats with them. And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. The picture here is in the back of these boats, in the stern of the boats. There was uh, essentially a bench. It normally had a carpet of some kind and a, and a pillow. It was for the uh, distinguished uh, visitor uh, to the particular boat. And right in front of him was the guy that was steering the boat, the pilot or the uh, captain of the ship, if you were just a few feet in front of him. But there was this place for the distinguished visitor. And, and we'll note as we go on, Jesus is asleep. He's exhausted. The part of him that is fully man is exhibiting himself here. He understands us. He knows how we feel. He knows that the storm of life sometimes has exhaustion in it. It has anxiety in it. It has death and taxes in it. It has pestilence. It has famine. It has everything in it. The storm comes in all kinds of different forms. And there he is, and in the midst of this, it says, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, said to peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled <laughs> with great fear. This is a different moment of fear. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. He is not only the Lord of people. He is not only the Lord over the demonic. He is not only the Lord over humankind or over uh, more than that. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of nature. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to make these points as I go through, and I'm going to go through rather rapidly. He has been, and he is in our world, in our boat with us. Number one, he's here right now. Number two, in your time of stress, he may seem to be asleep, but he is awake and watching. Or if he is asleep, and I don't know the technical nature of this, he still knows what's going on. He is Lord of nature and commands even the wind and the seas. Ultimately, he is the sovereign over the universe, which begs many questions of us and ultimately are answered in the area of mystery.
The secret things, the secret counsel of the Lord belong to him. But when life gets tough and we wonder where God is, we remember that one place we saw him firmly affixed was on a cross for our sake and for our salvation. And greater love has no man than this, that he would do that. Finally, he ultimately, come life or death, sails us home. He ultimately, come life or death, sails us home. There is this sea there. There is a storm whipping up the waves. Did he not care that they were perishing? He's asleep in the back of the bowl. He not only cared, is what I would tell you, it was for their welfare that he came. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. He came that men might have life and that abundant. He came that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Does he care? He gave everything for you and me in love. He gave everything for this world, and he wants to reflect his glory through his people. He came to set captives free. Oh yes, he cared and God cared so much that he sent his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him shall not perish, not through a storm, not through death, ultimately not through any physical fixed thing. No, they will live forever because he lives. We shall live also. That was the whole point of his coming. He came to battle storms. But why asleep in the back of the boat, the one who would give life as a ransom for many? Why did he not appear concerned in light of the desperate storm raging about them? It's obvious in retrospect, he rules the waves, and they bow to his majesty. He is the sovereign God of heaven and earth, ultimately to man incomprehensible. Nevertheless, by faith, we know him to be king of kings and lord of lords, and not a sparrow falls to the ground asleep or awake without his notice. That being the case, he calmly dispatches the storm with his word of command. If the quivering sailors had been concerned before now, they were petrified, frightened to be in the man, in the presence of a man who can calm a storm with a word. Maybe he was just a character in some kind of cosmic play. Maybe he was standing on stages singing a song and getting applause for the mighty works and magic tricks that he could do. But when you tell storms cease in a calm voice and the whole sea flattens, you know you're dealing with something beyond comprehension and, in a sense, frightening. They are perhaps at this point petrified, frightened to be in a man who can do this. One writer describes storms on the Sea of Galilee this way. It is not unusual to see terrible squalls hurl themselves, even when the sky is perfectly clear upon these waters which are ordinarily so calm. The position of the lake in the Jordan Rift below sea level with the high mountains to the east and west creates a natural condition for storms. Cool air from the mountainous regions drops down to the sea and after being compressed by rocky formations creates a pressurized air mass, which can, like a small wall of air, caught and compressed in such a way that rushing with tremendous force through a narrow space and then being suddenly released, they agitate this little lake, this little lake, this sea, to a degree that is most frightful. One day, uh, uh, I was on a, a bay, 
Uh, it's the Chesapeake Bay. Some of you have been on it. There are probably some very serious sailors here in the room. I was a young man. I was a terrible sailor, almost unbelievable. He, I was the captain of the ship. It was a boat about as big as this boat. We go out into the Chesapeake Bay. Everything seems good. It's sunny. It's bright. And a storm comes in. Some kind of storm warnings are being put up while we're out at sea, if you will, and I'm commanding this ship. And all of a sudden, with the brilliance of my insights and, and uh, my uh, physical capabilities, I turn the thing into the wind in such a way that the sail of the thing is hit full on by the latest gale. And as you might imagine, not only did the water come over the gunnels, the whole ship went into the ocean, and a lot of kind of young teenagers went spinning out into the sea. We had not planned to go on a swim, but I guess we thought we would take advantage of that. Thank God we were wearing life preservers. And more than that, similar to the Lord Jesus, there were sea patrols out here, just looking out for crazy kids like us, came picked us out of the water, but it was a demonstration of power. You know, I had the privilege, and I've told you this one, of being on the Sea of Galilee. Has anybody else been to Israel and been on it? Yeah, I see some of you guys have, uh, probably a bunch of you. Yeah, thank you. And maybe you were on it on a day like I was. I'm there on the boat. I'm enjoying myself. I've seen the beauty of the waves and the sparkling thing going on, and all I see is gorgeousness. And this wind, apparently, as described here, drops down, compressed through these little fissures and the rocks and begins to drive this tiny, clear, pristine sea to the place where we're sitting in chairs and we didn't know we were on some kind of carnival ride where they're starting to skid down the deck this way, this way, backwards and forwards. There was a, it wasn't a frightening moment because we were in a modern era where we hoped these boats had to deal with this all the time, but we were to kind of nail ourselves in position while they moved to a more safe area. Storms don't ask your permission to come into your life. And the Sea of Galilee could be an extremely fearful and dangerous place. We have a life preserver for the storm of life. And his name is Jesus. And he allows life to get messy for whatever reason. But we know he holds the future, and as the song says, life is worth the living just because he lives. He cries out to our anxieties, peace be still. Where do I go? Where is there a job for me? What can I do, Lord? He calls us at that point to seek his face to call out to him, to help him be our life preserver and our lifeboat, to come into our lives and say, this is my will for you, my son. Uh, go here, do this. This is the direction I am causing you to move. This incident has a greater purpose than simply blowing around a boat. I am demonstrating to your disciples that you rule and reign over both earth and heaven. Are not our inward anxieties reminiscent of this powerful storm? Do not fear and perplexity grab you by the throat from time to time? What is the answer for the poor man on the street in poverty? Well, it's the same answer as for the rich man on the hill. 
for the politician and for the auto technician when stormy weather comes. Who shall answer? Who shall help us in our infirmity? The God-man, Jesus Christ. Why are you so afraid, Jesus says? What is the problem? Here is the solution. Have you still no faith? It is to grow in faith in Him that He can take care of any problem including that final moment when death comes. Perhaps you've heard this one. A, a gardener was working in his garden, and he loved this one flower. He loved this flower so much. He had worked. He had, he had uh, put the soil around it and fertilized it in such a way that it was a, 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 a thing of beauty to him. And then one day, it disappeared. And he went to the master of the garden and, and said, my flowers disappeared. This is horrible. This is nasty. Someone has done something very dark. And, and the master of the garden said, please be quiet. I took this one for my own. Well, that's how life is. The, the greatest storm, perhaps, is the storm or the moment of death. But the good news is there is a time of resurrection when God plucks his very own. So even as the storm passes, there is good fruit and beauty awaiting the man, the woman, who is trusted in Christ as their Savior. He is the solution for every anxiety, for every challenge of life, for every storm, for every weakness of the flesh. Do you know how we get out of our crazy addictive behavior? We don't. He does. He says to you, trapped in whatever thing you're in, peace, be still. And if you come to him, he will give you counsel in your business, in your marriage, in your personal struggles with dark things, wisdom to wiggle, strut, walk, and navigate out of the storm of life. He will if you want him to. And he has the power to overcome all of the devices of the, of the evil one. I want to uh, read you a uh, story, and it has to do with, uh, it, it's a, um, a, first of all, a, a poem written by a man whose name is George Herbert. George Herbert was one of C.S. Lewis's favorite poets. And he, he wrote this about the storm. He lived in about in the time of William Shakespeare. When wind and waves assaulted my keel, he doth preserve it. He doth steer. Even when the boat seems most to reel, storms are the triumph of his art. Though he may close his eyes, he may seem to close his eyes, yet not his heart. He can see through all of your problems and all of your pain to a healthy and God-sent aid. In the mid-60s, 
maybe many of us heard this. In the mid-60s, there was a man whose name was Ed Ames. He was a Jewish man, actually. He was Daniel Boone's uh, cohort as he played Mingo, the a Native American, or as we used to say, the Indian. And Mingo was quite a man that the show was on too late at night for me to watch, but I remember Ed Ames looked so much the part, it was startling, and he did quite well. Well, Ed Ames was a member of a group called the Ames Brothers, and I think they were from New York City, and they sang together beautiful music. They made harmonies. And he lived in the mid-60s as part of what he did in a very stormy moment for those of us that came out of that. And he saw, or they saw, a version of a, of a poem written by the Spanish musical artist, a guy named Luis Eduardo Aute. Uh, the, the tune and the lyrics combined a Gregorian chant with a contemporary beat, and a lady whose name was Sheila Davis put it into English and provided it for us. Billboard magazine assessed it this way. The song expresses the urgent feelings, or the storm, if you will, of our times, and deals with such meaningful subjects as nuclear war, apathy, religious discontent, and underlying confusion of generation. My, doesn't that seem familiar to you and to me? Is that not a very apt description of this particular moment and its stresses and storms? The song and its content were written in the mid-60s. Let me read it to you. Some of you will know it. It's called, Who Will Answer? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Hallelujah is the way it starts. That means praise the Lord. From the canyons of the mind, we wander on and stumble blindly through the often tangled maze of starless nights and sunless days while asking for some kind of clue or road to lead us to the truth. But who will answer? Side by side, two people stand, together vowing hand in hand, that love's embedded in their heart, but soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives, and when they seek the hows and whys, who will answer? On a strange and distant hill, a young man's lying very still. His arms will never hold his child because a bullet running wild has struck him down. And now we cry, dear God, oh why, oh why? But who will answer? High upon a lonely ledge, a figure teeters near the edge, and jeering crowds collect below to egg him on with, go, man, go. But who will ask what led him to his private day of doom? And who will answer? If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the rooms of dark and shades, the scent of sandalwood pervades the colored thoughts and muddled heads, reclining in the rumpled beds of unmade dreams that can't come true. And when we ask what we should do, who will answer? Neath the spreading mushroom tree, the world revolves in apathy. As overhead, a row of specks roars on, drowned out by discotheques. And if a secret button's pressed because one man has been outguessed, who will answer? Is our hope in walnut shells worn round the neck with temple bells or deep within some cloistered walls where hooded figures pray in halls or crumbled books on dusty shelves or in our stars or in ourselves? Who will answer? 
If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? Hallelujah. 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 There is only one answer to the storm of life and the storms of this moment, which are more than suspiciously, uh, suspectedly exactly what the d decade of the 60s uh, was involved in, or make that the 16th century or the 15th. This is man's problem. Man untethered from God has no answers finally. But if Jesus Christ is God of gods, if he is both man and God, as man he understands our stresses and strains and storms, as God he has solutions for them. And finally, when all this life ends, we can say with the writer of the song, hallelujah. He has been and is in, in our world and in our boat with us. He may seem to be asleep, but is awake and watching. He is Lord of nature and commands even the wind and the seas. He ultimately, come life or death, sails us home. Jesus Christ is the answer to almost every question we have in the final analysis. Let's bow our heads to pray. If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, financial, future, whatever it is. If life seems blackened to you, Jesus may appear to be asleep, but he's on the boat very near you. Oh Lord, here's my prayer, that you would glorify your name in the people of this room, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit so that we can say, Alleluia, praise the Lord, for you are the living God. You live in us and move in us and, and you have our being. Lord, let us so live as to give maximum glory to you and let us see the storm as evidence of your power and let us hear your voice crying out to the storm, be still, be at peace. Fill us, we pray, with faith. If you do not know Jesus Christ, simply reach out to him in this simple way. Oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Calm the storm inside me with your peace and with the very life of your son. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.